thanks for joining the SoarCast, where we talk about drones, manned aircraft, and satellites, and how they relate to geospatial products found on the SOAR platform. G'day everyone, it's Darren with the SoarCast, and today we have an exciting guest. Uh, it, his name is Paul Duar, and he is based, like us, out of Perth, Australia, though he has been around the country and around the world, in fact, doing a lot of things with UAVs. So uh, welcome, Paul. It's good to have you on the SoarCast. Terrific, Darren. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, yeah, you're well, you're most welcome, and thanks for um, just taking the time out of your of your schedule. Um, so Paul is, has um, been in, in UAVs um, going back quite a few years. Um, maybe you can just tell us what was the year you first got into UAVs? Um, I, I wish it was that simple. Look, you know, this is going to give away my age, but I, I started flying UAVs about 23 years ago in the late 1990s. That's uh that it, wow, you know, in 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 drone years, that's a lot of years. Um, it is actually, yeah. <laughs> it is. It's that's quite um, amazing. Okay, so um, when did you actually uh, when did, when did you get your hands on, or when when did you start becoming directly involved with UAVs? Um, th- that that's where it initially started. I started doing aerial video work using a radio controlled helicopter and a and a camera fitted to it. And that's where it really started. I was already flying RC. And so um, it started that way. I worked in Melbourne with a couple of friends and then I worked in Queensland and Sydney um, doing some small contracts to just build up the skills. And when I moved to Perth, uh, I started to get more involved with a couple of other friends who I made here and we, we started up a business and that's where it really got going. Okay, yeah. Well, now, um, going on your, your CV, you've, um, you've done a number of things. I know that you were in the military for about, was it 15 years? Yeah, that's right. 15 years. Okay. 15 years. And then you've, you've been in the telecommunications space and, and then, of course, quite a bit in the uh, UAV space more in, uh, I would say, the recent decade or, or more. Um, so you're with um, Aquila Aero and also Drone Pilots. Um, can you tell us just a little bit about both of those companies? Um, I'll start with Drone Pilots because it's my company and it's a business that I started up a few years ago working as a consultant in the industry. I was uh, aligned to a particular company and I could see the need for me to get out there and help other pilots that I'd trained and I wanted to get involved in just basically using my skills. So. I just started consulting, um, helping people get reox, helping people develop operational procedures, and that, that also helped me get involved with companies who were doing development as well. And that was one of the companies that I ended up working for. Aquila Australia is um, developing a, a medium RPAS, a fixed-wing aircraft with great capabilities, and they wanted me involved in helping with the development work of the aircraft, getting it working, and then um, making it earn a living. Well, very good, and we'll we'll definitely get into uh, the specifics and about um, that that particular aircraft, and that really is a bit of our of the focus uh, of today. Is in fact um, large large scale fixed wing uh, heavy lift drones. So in this case, the Aquila uh, aircraft um, 
comes in uh, a couple of formats and it is, uh, I guess you would say, completely customizable in terms of the payload and the use case. So we'll definitely look at, at all of those. Uh, have you ever, and we're going to go back a little bit about yourself, have you ever estimated how many total flying hours you have, I guess, both in, uh, including RCs? Um, it's a, <laughs> I, I, I went down that path and I stopped. Um, I've been flying RC for 42 years. Um, some of that in the Army was, was now and again. Um, and when I got out of the Army, it was a heck of a lot and I was flying drones every day. So at, at the moment, my log shows over 4,000 hours of actual drone flying um, with about 1,000 hours of um, beyond visual line of sight operations. And I still fly RC every weekend, Saturdays and Sundays, so I don't necessarily log that time. <laughs> I made a joke about uh, drone years, and, and I think I could probably make a correlation between, um, you know, uh, our UAV flight hours and, and even manned aircraft hours. Um, you know, pilots, uh, pilots chalk up, you know, t the professional pilots might chalk up tens and thousands of of hours, and that's simply because they can they can sit in the airplane, and the airplane may have uh, you know an eight hour range or, or something like that. Whereas with, uh, I guess with UAVs, we all have to take a, a bit of take that with a bit of uh, a grain of salt. In that, um, yeah, it might be a fifteen or twenty minute flight, but uh, there's certainly just as much time setting it up and preparing for the flight. So it almost um, uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm making an assumption, but it almost isn't a fair comparison when you try when somebody asks you what are your manned hours versus your um, sort of uh, UAV hours. Is is that a, a fair assumption? It, it, it is tricky. I, I fly manned aircraft, and I've always done it for fun, never for work. And I've got all sorts of um, pilot monitoring hours logged in various aircraft that I'd never be capable of flying, just sitting in the right hand seat with the pilot. But when it comes to my, my drone log time, I, I've actually logged time where I've been a mission commander. So I've been sitting back behind the pilot and the payload operator and running the mission. And that's a whole different ball game because you're not actually touching anything. You know, you're making decisions and directions, but you know, you're still logging that time because it's still a, a mission and it's still a, a drone operation. So um, I do log that time. I log the time when I'm training as well, um, especially one-on-one -on -one training. And um, so that tends to build up the hours a little bit, but I still like to get on to the controls. And, and that's, that's the time that I enjoy most of all, I guess. Okay. Um, <clears throat> that, might, that actually is a good segue more into the specifics of the um, Aquila uh, aircraft. Um, these aircraft, um, now correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, they, they have two models, the Raven X and the Raven XV. Uh, what are the wingspans of both of those aircraft? So the XV was the is the initial aircraft. It's the aircraft the company will use to do work, and so it was created by the aeronautical engineer first, and it has a wingspan of eight meters. Then we needed a, a proof of concept and training aircraft. So to get things happening quickly, the, the aeronautical engineer scaled that down to one third scale. So it's about two point seven meter wingspan to, for the Raven X. And these are uh, composite aircraft, carbon fiber. Is that right? Yep, that's correct. Uh, we're putting as much composite into it as we possibly can. There is there is no wood. You know, back in the days where we may have used plywood for bulkheads and formers and things, we're 3D printing stuff now, so it's all composite. 
And that's quite amazing. You know, you were alluding to, uh, I think, what did you call them? Uh, monitoring hours or uh, right-hand uh, yeah, right seat hours. Pilot monitoring, is, is yeah. Pilot monitoring. That's, that's the phrase I was looking for. And, and certainly, uh, I know, uh, thanks to YouTube and, and uh, air investigation type videos that um, often a pilot um, is not the pilot in command, but he is entirely responsible for uh, the peripherals and bit uh, and really just being supporting so that um, I guess the uh, the pilot in command isn't overloaded with with the other you know that often I guess they serve the the um, the facility as as what they might call a flight engineer if you know a, uh, aircraft might have space not have space for three people in the cockpit but uh, the pilot yeah. or, or the yeah yeah you get involved in and it, it's the good old co-pilot terminology so. I've been lucky enough to fly with people who appreciate the help, understand my capabilities and experience. So I get in the right-hand seat, I run checklists for them, I make radio calls for them, those sort of things just to reduce the workload so that I can enjoy the flight just as much as they can. And really, we're only out there having fun. It's not a commercial scenario that we're talking about. Hmm. And so with both of the these models, the um, Raven XV and, and the X, they uh, is it a single man operation or or are two guys working in tandem? Um, the whole operation is planned to be two guys working together. We specifically set it up as a person flying the aircraft, um, the remote pilot, and then a payload operator. So that person responsible for controlling the various payloads that may be on board the aircraft. And of course, they work together as a team, and they, they could be interchangeable as well. They could both be remote pilots, or the payload operator could just be simply a payload operator, who we would train up with those skills. And I think uh, there might be an assumption. I know that myself and um, and the drone father, our producer, fly sort of your off the shelf uh, multi rotor um, aircraft, and so. Uh, you know, we're a bit spoiled. You take your hand off the sticks and it stays in the same place. Um, I think with, um, and, and they're, let's say relatively inexpensive, um, you know, if, if, uh, you have a, a bad situation and they, they crash or you hit a tree or that, that sort of thing. But with, um, I suppose with these, uh, fixed wing aircraft, maybe you can give us a, a better idea of, um, sort of the, the, Necess what what what's necessary in terms of um, the pilot input? Uh, so you're there for the takeoff. You're monitoring the takeoff. Maybe just run us through a mission if you could, and and what's what's required by both uh, the pilot and the co-pilot. Um, I'm sure, and um, if I may, I'll just digress a little bit leading into that. In that we in the development phase, um, you have to hand fly the aircraft. You know, there's no automation on board. And so when part of the reason they get me involved is that I've had a lot of experience flying very large RC airplanes. And so it's test flown in RC until we integrate the automated flight system. So once the automated flight control system is on the aircraft, that then reduces the pilot's workload enormously. So you would go through your pre-flight checks, line the aircraft up on the runway and press the takeoff button and then say, yep, do that. Meanwhile, the payload controller has stowed the payload so that it's pointing rearwards and you don't get bug splatters all over the lenses and the aircraft automatically takes off and then it goes into its automated flight profile that you've already assigned it. The payload controller then comes online. He starts working the payload based on the mission that you're flying 
and away it goes. And that, that could happen for eight hours and you could change crews. And eventually you'll come back to a situation where you'll press the land now button and the aircraft will do the landing for you. So um, the automated flight control systems reduce the workload a lot. And that's typically how an operation would run. I think it's a good chance for me to ask you about the specifics of both the Raven X and XV. So we, we get a, we've got a feeling of uh, sort of their size or their wingspan, but um, those who are listening just via audio, uh, maybe you can describe sort of the, the, I don't know, morphology or shape of the aircraft, but also even the, the, all of the specs. So how long they can stay in the air, um, what's the propulsion system, um, you know, sort of a, a, a bullet point of, of both, if you could. Yeah, sure. Look, we're, we're talking about a, a blended wing body aircraft. So it's it looks like a flying wing. Um, similar to the B-2 bomber, we have winglets because we prefer to use winglets to provide us with the longitudinal directional stability. It makes photogrammetry so much better and easier. Um, and it makes the aircraft a little bit less complicated. So blended wing aircraft with pusher propulsion, um, because we're operating large payloads and we're flying for long distance and long endurance, they're, um, they're basically internal combustion engines. Um, they're not electric. So the, the 8-metre Raven XV um, has a maximum payload of 40 kilos at a maximum flying weight of 150 kilos. So it's, we've worked within the the regulations here um, in Australia. It's actually rated to 170 kilos at full spec. Um, the Raven X is the 2.7 meter aircraft. It's going to fly somewhere around about max takeoff weight of about 18 kilos. And it's really the, the proof of concept aircraft. It's just going to fly, prove that the aerodynamics works, and then the eight meter will get developed and produced. So we're running twin 210cc horizontal twin spark ignition fuel injected engines that will run on petrol um, with a mixture of oil in the petrol. So they're a premix type engine for the Raven XV. Um, we'll fly their fuel injected engines so we can fly up to 20,000 feet. We have an endurance, a planned endurance, by the way, because we haven't flown XV yet. Um, of around about 18 to 20 hours. Um, and that's including reserves. And the Raven X, that's going to just be um, normal aspiration. So it's going to fly in the in the low airspace area, you know, one to two thousand feet um, within um, RC range to start off with. It'll be automated, about eighteen kilos with around about uh, five to six kilo payload, and it'll fly for about three hours. And um, those. Those aircraft, as I said, will have a fully automated flight control system on them, um, video downlink uh, for the camera gimbal that will be installed on them. And um, we'll also be able to manage them using a terrestrial data link. So um, no satellite connectivity as yet, but we're working on that for the large aircraft. Okay, and you you caught my interest when you mentioned that the uh, the larger aircraft is fuel injected, and um, maybe uh, just more from my my own um, interest. But uh, what what's the benefit uh, for an aircraft to have fuel injection versus, let's say, carburation? Um, it's a great question, and it really makes a huge difference to the operating altitude of the aircraft. 
once you get up to about 10,000 feet, um, the fuel injection really takes over and comes into its own. It's automatically controlling the fuel mixture that goes into the engine. So as the air gets thinner, the higher you go, the fuel mixture needs to change. You can't get up there to a carbureted engine and stick your hand out the window and adjust the carburetor. Um, but the fuel-injected engine, that's where it really makes the difference. It also compensates for um, the density altitude on the day, whether it's hot or cold, moisture in the air, etc. So it's a set-and-forget system that allows greater capability from the engine. So what is Soar Plus? Well, imagine if Google Earth and Dropbox had a baby. Soar Plus is the premier solution that allows users to store, view and share maps and imagery on one simple mapping platform. Think of Soar Plus as your own digital atlas. Find out more by visiting us at soar.earth. Very good. So this, uh, the, the aircraft are, like I said, um, entirely customizable. So you can put any number of, um, I guess, sensors or, or even uh, just devices, and we'll get into that um, on them, that um, give them quite a, a broad spectrum. So um, I didn't write it down, but I think some of the, the industries <clears throat> that um, this drone can work in is obviously uh, agriculture, uh, photogrammetry and, and mapping, um, fire control, uh, uh, civil defense or monitoring. Were there any niches that, that I didn't come up with? Um, there is possibly others, but we're as a company, you have to be careful you don't spread yourself too thin, um, especially in the development phase. So we're, we've targeted specifically the photogrammetry, the aerial photogrammetry industry, and we've targeted working with fire. So we have a very large payload bay that can accommodate various payloads that will work in those two industries. That could lead to surveillance, search and rescue type operations as well. Okay, I'm very interested in the uh, fire control and you were mentioning the, um, you know, the large payload. These, these aircraft are capable of um, dropping incendiaries, is that correct? Absolutely right. That's what we've designed the payload bay to accommodate three aerial incendiary machines along with 9,000 capsules. So we're talking about a substantial payload area. Um, also with a camera gimbal with uh, long range, medium wave infrared um, to allow us to look at fire and uh, all that remotely controlled from the ground. Okay. So that, that, that's quite fascinating. Maybe you can give us a like a, like I asked sort of uh, a mission brief, if you will. Uh, give us a mission brief over uh, fire control from a UAV. Um, one of the typical circumstances that we would operate in predominantly is, um, and basically the, the initial mission that we will run the aircraft in is prescribed burning. So the mission would be to go out to an area and burn a particular section of forest. So that mission would be planned and input into the flight control system. Um, that flight control system has the ability to automatically control the aerial incendiary machines, and the aircraft would then go and fly a, a line dropping incendiaries, and 
the the process that we've worked with the people, um, for example, Working on Fire is a company that we've worked with here in Perth who do a lot of prescribed burning. And so um, they like to see the, the initial line set and the aircraft will then loiter. So it's loitering around and we're watching the burn and watching the fire, how it progresses. And then that then decides how we move forward in regard to the, the distance the lines are set apart and how many capsules will drop on a line. And then we'll start working the mission. And if necessary, we can change the drop rate for the capsules, the speed of the aircraft, etc., the distance between the lines. And then aircraft would then drop the number of lines of capsules that are required to get that burn established. And again, it will then go up and loiter and watch the burn. And that's the beauty of the fixed-wing aircraft. It has the ability to go and loiter and, um, and fly for substantial amounts of time while things are happening, get back in, um, drop more capsules if necessary, or just sit and watch the burn while people um, are stress-free, basically. It's a lot lot simpler and easier when you're operating an aircraft from the ground um, as opposed to flying around in a helicopter um, over fires that are burning through forests. And is there a difference operating daylight versus nighttime hours? Um, At this stage, there is no process for burning at night. It's, Mm. It's in development. Um, but the beauty of being able to operate at night where all the fire support aircraft are grounded in a bushfire scenario, uh, we can op the air, operate the aircraft as an overwatch situation over the fire, beaming the imagery to the ground, recording that imagery, and then um, the fire status would be known when everyone starts getting together for their briefings first thing in the morning. They can utilise that data to then start their attack on the fire again. So that, that's where we bring the capability in that, that really doesn't exist locally at this stage in regard to flying at night and monitoring the fire. Okay. Uh, wow. I'm, I'm looking forward to the day when I see uh, a drone operating above a, um, you know, operating in a good way. I know that we have issues with, let's say, people who are over, a bit overzealous and they, they want to get a picture of a fire, but the rule is stay away, stay on the ground. If, unless you're directly involved, um, just want to point that out. It's, it's a dicey situation. So, um, but I'm looking forward to the day when I, you know, or when I encounter a drone that's um, in fact operating and supporting. I wanted to switch gears a little bit and go into really how, um, how what, what you're contributing back to the, the UAV industry. And that is in fact the, the online training. So I, I, I know Paul uh, mostly through um, a one-way interface. So I feel like I know Paul more than he knows me because I'm a, a graduate of, of a local drone uh, education school um, that's Global Drone Solutions, where you, uh, Paul is the, the, the face of the online drone training. So um, I think there's probably a lot more than anybody knows about, um, but you help develop these online training programs or bespoke training programs how long does it take to put something like that together? Uh, yeah, look, it was a, f- a fantastic experience. Um, Mahmoud from Global Drone Solutions had been talking to me about it for a while, and I was I was a little concerned. Um, I do work well in face-to-face contact. I do work well in a classroom. But standing in front of a camera and working to um, the, um, the moods and swings of a director was different. Um, but certainly, um, I think we did 220 takes or something like that, and over a period of about 
two weeks um, working long days. So, um, uh, and it was a great experience. I got to um, to be careful about how I chose my words. I got to put those specific pauses in so the cuts could be made. And so it educated me a little bit being on, on the, that end of the camera as opposed to being on the other side. And um, it was done in a studio with a blue screen behind me. So um, it, in the end, I think it, it worked out really well. Yeah. And has anybody approached you on the street and said, hey, Paul, how are you going without you knowing who they were? I wish I was that famous, but no, not yet. But but I do have people who I, I know in the industry or in or in other industries, and I do have a couple of business contacts, and I had a business contact um, ring me up one day. Um, we've known each other for a very long time, and he said, well, you're my best mate now. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, we've been drinking wine together each night. I said, no, I've been drinking wine at night. He said, well, I have, and you've been on the computer screen. I've just done your online training course. And I thought, yeah, that's a bit unusual, but but yeah, it was. Um, I've, I've come across a few people who've who said they've um, enjoyed the training, um, got a lot out of it, and so that's that's all been really good feedback for me. So I've been lucky to get that feedback. Um, maybe one day I'll be famous. Who knows? Yeah, well, uh, I certainly enjoyed it, and um, it is it is a bit of a unique um, environment, um, you know, learning by uh, by straight from the screen. But I think there is certainly a balance of keeping it engaging. And, and I think that was um, probably the, the feedback I'd offer in that, um, you know, that, that it was easy to follow. And um, I think that's, that's kind of with the direction online training is going. Um, yeah, it was, it was yeah, good so, direction. The direction was great. Mm. And, and we did take the time to do a number of different versions of a particular scenario. So that's where all the takes came from. So we, we were looking for the segues. We were looking for ways of keeping it, um, active and not as boring as I could be being technical. So um, th- those number of takes really, really made a difference, I think, to the end result. And I, I actually just have one final question. It's It's been really great. And there's certainly more we could um, talk about, you know, in terms of uh, heavy lift fixed wing drones. But if people want to go and find out more about um, the Aquila drones, um, can you just tell us how to find out more information about that? Um, the, the tricky part is we haven't developed the website yet, up yet. It's um, aquila-australia.com.au. There is a splash screen up. There is a rendered image of the aircraft on there. Um, but certainly, you know, you can contact me through my drone pilot's email account and uh, we can make that public. Um, and, um, you know, anyone who wants to find out more obviously can contact through SOAR as well, and it's been terrific. Okay. Yeah, certainly that's what we'll do. Uh, Definitely, um, you know, the, the the backdrop and the imagery that we've used in the video part of this has all been courtesy of yourself and Aquila. Um, so uh, people can certainly find out the information from that. And we'll include links to um, your email um, in the description of this. So, like I said, I have one last question. Um, and that's actually uh, around, around being, uh, let's say, drone certified. So you come from a long background of uh, piloting air... Uh, RC aircraft, and as he said, large RC, RC aircraft. Um, I think that your perspective probably is a, is a little bit different because um, it's always been hands-on for you, meaning um, the hands can't go off the sticks um, and it's always line of sight. Um, but may, um, so a lot of people that are coming into drones, um, 
you know, that's that's what they know. They know uh, quadcopters or or even hexacopters and the, um, the 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 onboard stability systems that basically keep them in the same spot. Provided they can they have a GPS, they certainly can stay in the same spot. Um, but what would you say is is the benefit? I mean, even if you're not going commercial um, with drone operation, what would you say is the main benefit for having drone certification? Um, so drone certification, you're talking about having a remote operator certificate for the company? Uh, uh, no, I'd say um, just the, the remote pilot's license, just for oh, okay. even for yeah. an individual. Yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah. Um, look, I'll be honest with you. Within drone pilots, I still do multi-rotor drone work. I have my own multi-rotor and I fly under the excluded category. So I have an under two kilo multi-rotor that I do work for for people um, and I do aerial filming video, that sort of thing now and again, just to keep my hand in. But but from a certified remote pilot license type certification, um, it, it just gives you that, that credibility to have that remote pilot license. It puts you in the in the world of working pilots. You are a remote pilot now. You can easily call yourself that because you have a license that says that. It's very much easier to obtain um, insurance and protection, and it, and it does set you um, into that category that people understand now. You are actually committed to doing what you're doing because you have the license. Well, very good, Paul. It's been great having you, and we've come up against our time limit. Um, like I said, we'll include all the information um, to find out about both the Raven XV and the X um, in the description, and you can certainly reach out to Paul and um, Paul, it's just been great having you. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you so much, Darren. It's been an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate the opportunity. Very good. Well, good day, Paul, and uh, we'll sign off here. Thanks, everyone, for joining the SORCast. And that's all we have time for today. Tune in to our next SORCast for more discussion on geospatial products found on SOAR.